I've done a number of weddings throughout my tenure as a pastor. As that phrase was repeated over and over, I was wondering about, I've been in any weddings where the bride wasn't quite ready. There've been a few, but it strikes us as we think about our readiness for Christ. As a bride waiting for a groom, we'll be a church ready for you. We'll be moving to the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes, and I think it's a great reminder to us, are we ready for the experience of being reminded of what Christ has done for us? Are we ready for Christ to return? Are there things that need to be adjusted in our life, changed or repented from? So I hope that we will be thinking about that as we continue on through this worship service with the end point of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Guys, going to ask you a favor. Uh, Warren said go on out to the atrium, which is really good. I'm going to make it real easy. If you will comply with me, because I know a lot of you are non-compliant, okay? <laughs> so here's what I'm asking just as a friend. Help us out as a church. All men, would you pull out a communication card if you're 18 years of age or older? Just pull out a communication card. And all the men, just throughout, if you're a male over 18, some of you haven't identified that yet because I don't see you moving for a card. Pull out a card, every man 18 and older, and if you would just print your name, I know you have wonderful writing, but we not, may not be able to read it. Print your name on it, and then simply answer yes or no. Just put the word yes or no, and that is related to the steak dinner next Sunday evening at 5.30. So you just print your name on there and put yes, that means you're coming to the steak dinner, no, you're not coming to the steak dinner. That will help us out uh, as we try to get everybody signed up or the ones that don't want to get signed up. So if you would do that, and if you just pass those into the center aisle, so they should be, by the time we're done, they should all be right here in the center aisle, and a couple of our deacons will grab those. Just print your name, yes or no, if you're going to be here next week uh, for the steak dinner. I hope you are, but that'll help us to kind of identify who will be here and how we can prayer, prepare accordingly. Well, as we continue this series, 66, Route 66, we're going through all of the Bible, looking at each one of the books and getting a summary of what it says. We're reminded that it's one story in 66 books. One story in 66 books. And what is that? We have a problem that only Jesus can resolve. Now, that might be news to some of us here, maybe for the first time visiting in church, didn't know that you had a problem, you thought everything was fine, but for all of us, for all of humanity, we have a problem that only Jesus can resolve. We looked at Genesis, and Genesis kind of gives us a map of what that looks like. We have a problem for which God has a plan that includes a promise, a people, and a purpose, just an easy way for us to remember that. And God is going to demonstrate that throughout the balance of Scripture. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember the game Pictionary. Maybe you have played Pictionary before. Pictionary is where you draw something, you begin to draw, and there's a timer going, and the rest of your team tries to figure out what you're drawing, and they guess. If you played Pictionary, you know what it's like to have a, an overachiever on your team. And you, and you draw one line, and all of a sudden they say, elephant. Or, or shovel, or, or rocket. They're just trying to get ahead of the game as quickly as they can. Well, Scripture is much like Pictionary. Theological term for it is progressive revelation. 
Just like when you're watching somebody draw on Pictionary, the more they draw, the better you understand what they're drawing, and then you're able to understand it. The same with Scripture. The more you move through Scripture, you have this progressive understanding of who God is. God doesn't just drop everything on us in Genesis 1-1 and says, here's the full story. It is progressively being revealed to us through Scripture. Today we come to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus takes you about a little over two hours to read, 27 chapters of it. And as we were preparing for this earlier in the week when Michelle and I were out taking our morning walk, uh, she was asking me what I was going to be doing. And I said, well, today I'm really going to be working hard to try to better understand what I need to say about Leviticus. And so I asked her, what would you do? And she quickly said, I'd skip it. <laughs> uh, just... You know, it, it made me laugh because I'm thinking that's really the honest answer for most of us. How many of us would honestly say of all 66 books, Leviticus is your favorite? I mean, you'd raise your hand on that one. Leviticus is my favorite book, okay? How many of you would say it's probably my least favorite book, if I'm really honest? It's kind of a, kind of a unique book in and of itself. Well, uniquely, it contains Jesus' most frequent quote in the New Testament, in fact, what he quoted is written on the wall out in our atrium. It's Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's this book that we might want to just skip, and Jesus went to it to find the quote that he would use most oftentimes when he was teaching. Two times, Paul noted that the whole law is summarized by those five words in Romans chapter 13, verse 9, and Galatians 5, 14. And then James would call it the royal law in James chapter 2, verse 8, all from the book of Leviticus. Maybe that's why Augustine would say, love God and do whatever you please. And that has been used for centuries as a license to do whatever you want, which is contrary to God's word. But here are the rest of his quote, love God and do whatever you please, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. So as we come to Leviticus, I was thinking with Michelle, she helps me out with my sermons if you didn't know that already. So I said, okay, since I'm not going to skip it, what would you call the theme of the book? And she nailed it. Be holy because I am holy. She's a master of scripture memory. We find that throughout the book of Leviticus. It's a treatise on holiness. What is a treatise? It is a systematic teaching. And as we look at Leviticus with all of these rules and regulations, what God is showing us is that we are called to be holy because He is holy. Be holy occurs nine times in the book of Leviticus. That command, be holy, directed to God's people. And 67 times throughout the book, we see the word holy. It's a treatise on holiness. We see God say, be holy as I am holy in Leviticus 11, 44, 19, 2, 27. And then let's read 20, 26. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own people. So what is being said there? is God is going back to what was mentioned in Genesis to say that he has a promise 
that includes a people and a purpose. And these are his people, and the purpose is for them to be set apart. Why? So that the world will see what God is like. In the book of Leviticus, we see that God is set apart by his holiness. So he is uniquely different from us. May we never forget that. We are the created. God is the creator. We are sinners. He is holy. God is set apart by his holiness, and we are set apart by our sinfulness. And that's why there's this great chasm between God and us that can only be bridged through Jesus Christ. Only God's holiness can set us apart from our sin. Only God's holiness can separate us from our sin and make us holy through Christ. And when we use the word set apart, we're reminded of the quote by that controversial Margaret Mead. She said, always remember that you are unique just like everyone else. Just like everyone else, we are uniquely set apart by our sinfulness. We are like everyone else, we are sinful. But we are also invited to be set apart from our sin by God's holiness. As we talk about being set apart, that might seem a little bit foreign to us, so let's bring a contemporary example in that we will see today. There are four teams left in the NFL playoffs, and after today, there will only be two. You can pick which two they are. They are set apart from all of the other teams because they have won when others have lost. So they are uniquely different. They are set apart. That's what it means to be set apart. You're uniquely different. And then those who play in the NFL, they're set apart from the rest of us. Why do we watch? Because we can't do what they can. Now, we may think we could do better, especially if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, but they are set apart as uniquely more talented than we are, and they can perform at a level that we can't, thus we watch. Would television pay to watch us play football? No, because they are set apart as more talented. I remember those famous words of Cody Carlson, who was a Baylor quarterback who went on to play for the Houston Oilers. And he talked about the different levels of sports. And he said, in high school, as a quarterback, you throw the ball after your receiver has already made the cut. And I remember that. You're standing back there and you're waiting. He's open. Okay, now I'll throw it. And then he said, when you get into college, you throw the ball when your receiver makes the cut. So you simultaneously throw it just as he's making the cut. And then he said in the NFL, you throw the ball before he makes the cut. So it's a guesswork. You're hoping you both end up at the same spot. You're uniquely different, set apart. Well, God wanted his people to be set apart from the other nations so that they would notice the difference and they would watch so they could see what it truly is like to be right with God, what is true about God. And so he gives us these instructions for separation. Now understand, we are not under the same covenant that they were 
back in the Old Testament. We don't have to do all that is described here, but again, God is doing Pictionary, and He is revealing what He is going to do once and for all through Jesus Christ. So he set, sets up this sacrificial system. Here are these people that have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They have now come out. They're being established as a nation, a people of God. And God begins to give them this description of what they must do to cover their sins. They didn't think so much about their sins in, the, in, in Egypt. But now God is pointing out the sinfulness, not only of them, but all of humanity. And so he sets up the burnt offering in chapter 1 just in case you might need to do, do these sometimes. Here's where you find out how. The grain offering in chapter 2, the fellowship offering in chapter 3, the sin offering in chapter 4, the guilt offering in 5, and then he expands on those in 6 and 7. And friends, what we ought to do today when we're going through Leviticus, we ought to just thank God that we don't have to keep doing this. Could you imagine what our worship service would be like? I mean, you could even see it'd be so smoky in here from all the sacrifices. And what was happening is God was saying, your sin is serious. Sometimes we look at our sin and we think it's not so bad. We call things like white lies, foibles, mistakes, errors in judgment. And God says of our sin, it is so serious that I want you to see perpetually that death occurs because of it. And those that would bring the sacrifice, they themselves would have to take the life of the lamb. And then the priest would do the rest of the work. In chapters 8 through 10, we have the description of the high priest. Again, we might think, okay, let's just step back. Doesn't apply to us. But understand, God is drawing a picture of our high priest, Jesus Christ, helping us to understand what Christ will do for us. We have the ordination of Aaron and his sons in chapters 8, and then their priestly work begins in chapter 9. So chapters 8 through 10 is talking about the priest and the high priest. But in chapter 10, we have this very unique story. When you read it, it's like, whoa, this is serious stuff. Because the death of Aaron's son, Nadab and Abegu, they decide that they're going to mix together some incense it says, contrary to God's command. Now again, we go back and remember what we talked about, original sin. We look at Adam and Eve in the original sin, and we say, that doesn't look so bad. I mean, really? They just decided to order off a different menu? And we look at the priest, the first guys out of the box that established to do this, the, to, to lead out in worship, and they mix incense the wrong way, and what happens? They die. And we say, that seems a little bit extreme, but what God is saying is, you must not operate contrary to my commands. And then he would say of Aaron in chapter 16, we'll get there in just a couple of minutes, but in chapter 16, verse 2, he would say, Aaron cannot come whenever he chooses. You ought to underline that verse in Leviticus 16.2. You do not come to God simply when and how you choose. We come to God on his term, not ours. A very hard word for American Christianity. We want God to comply with us. And God says, you must be compliant with me. Chapters 11 through 15, we have the laws of purity. These are those chapters that you love to skip when you're reading through the Bible. And you want to say, really? 
but it reminds us that God is establishing directives that will help his people to flourish. These are people that used to be slaves. They're now living out in the wilderness, and God begins to establish ways to help them flourish. And it's a good reminder for us, why did God give us all of these commands? Do you remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 5? He said his commands, God's commands are what? Not burdensome. God didn't give us his commands to weigh us down, which is the party line of our culture. If you follow God's commands, whoa, it will rob you of your joy. But God says to the contrary, I have created these commands to give you abundance in life, as Jesus promised in John 10.10. Laws of purity. And then the laws of holiness in chapters 17 through 27. What is happening here? Again, chapters that we want to gloss over. Irrelevant, insignificant to us, but they remind us of God affirming his creation order. You will see descriptions in those chapters of how we are to relate to God and his creation and to one another. Our culture pushes so hard against these specific chapters. And what God is saying is, I have a creation order and is to operate according to my owner's manual, not humanity's. It's so important for us to see that because God's creation is set up for, we, for us to be holy, so in our holiness, we'll be set up to flourish. You may have read about the doomsday clock this last week, January 23rd, this past Tuesday, came out again, set at 90 seconds. We're closest to, the, to midnight uh, as ever before, same as last year, they didn't change it, 90 seconds to midnight. When you think about that clock, why is it designed? 1947, some of the, the, the scientists that were involved in the creation of the atomic bomb, Einstein, Oppenheimer, and others, and they said, we want to establish a metric for the world to look at to see how close we are to, listen to this, self-annihilation. Not aliens coming and taking over our world. Self-annihilation. So every time we hear about the doomsday clock, it is a warning that we will be the ones who destroy ourselves. God's word tells us we are on a pathway to self-annihilation unless we have an encounter with holy God. And Leviticus reminds us of that. So what is the mile marker to Christ that we find in Leviticus? Glad you asked. It's Leviticus chapter 16. It's called the Day of Atonement. No wonder Jesus would go back and refer to Leviticus because he knew that right there in the heart of that book is a description of what he would do for all of humanity when he died for our sins. That's why John would say in the, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, he would point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What would happen on the Day of Atonement? Multiple things happening that we need to pay attention to here. Atonement is mentioned 56 times in the book of Leviticus in 50 chapters. It means to cover over. 
And the book of Leviticus is establishing a way in which our sins are covered over. We had an example of that in the book of Exodus in the Passover, in which the blood was sprinkled over the doorpost and the sides of the door. It was a reminder that God would cover over our sins for those who obediently embraced what he called them to do. The day of covering, once per year, and that's why God would say through Moses to Aaron, you will not come on your terms whenever. You will do it once per year according to my directions. Yom Kippur is that day of atonement. We'll see it October 11th of this year, 2024. It is that day of atonement in which there's this great covering of our sins and the way that it was established is not only were there priests, but then there was a high priest. And Aaron was the high priest. And what the high priest would have to do, and listen closely to this, what he would have to do, first of all, is he'd have to make atonement for his own sins. He was not sinless. He would have to make atonement for his own sins before he went into the tabernacle and entered the Holy of Holies where he would make atonement for the sins of the people. And they would use two different animals for the process. First of all, there would be the sacrificial lamb, and that lamb would be slain, and that blood would be used to make a covering for the sins of the people once per year. And then there would be a scapegoat, in which the priest would then pray over the scapegoat, put his hands on the scapegoat, and say, all of the sins of the people are now upon this goat, and it would be led out into the wilderness away from the people. Friends, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ is our sacrificial lamb and our scapegoat. In this book, 60 different times we see the word blood occur. Hebrews is a commentary on the book of Leviticus. And in Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus would become our high priest. He would be the high priest he would be the scapegoat, and he would be the sacrificial lamb. You can read all about that in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. When Jesus yelled from the cross to tell us die, it was a statement to all of humanity, to all who would hear, that he was the high priest, the sinless high priest, who didn't have to make sacrifice for his sins. His sacrifice was to live a sinless life, for 33 years as he walked on this earth. And then he would walk into the Holy of Holies, not in a temple, but the very Holy of Holies in heaven itself. And he would cover for our sins with his blood and would be the scapegoat that takes away our sins. That's what God was drawing on the Pictionary Board of Leviticus. So where do you find yourself in Leviticus? You might say lost. And that would be the right word, lost. Leviticus reminds us of that. In Leviticus chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, we read about unintended consequences. That is when something happens that was unintended, a result that we weren't planning for. And Leviticus reminds us of the unintended consequences of our sin. It says, if anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, any and all, even though they do not know it, 
They are guilty and will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect, which is a statement about Jesus Christ and of proper value. And in this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the wrong they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. That is the message that we have been charged with as believers in Jesus Christ to take to the world. Because to the average person on the street, they don't feel as if there is any problem between them and God. But we're reminded here that we are held responsible even if we don't understand our sin, even if we don't know it, even if it was unintentional. And so God was providing a provision for all of sin, regardless of how it's committed, motive or not, all of sin to be covered over. What's the story of Route 66? We have a problem that only Jesus can resolve. Two things that we all need to know, that we do have a problem and God has a solution, but that information won't change your life. It'll make you more knowledgeable of what you need to know. We need to know that we have a problem. We are separated from God by our sin, and that's what God is drawing through each one of these books, a more descriptive picture of our separation from God. And the solution is Jesus Christ, buried right here in this book. In Leviticus 16, a vivid picture of how Jesus Christ would become our atonement for sins. But that doesn't automatically happen. Our response to the reality that we have an unresolvable problem that only Jesus can resolve, our response to that determines the outcome of our existence both in this life and in the life to come. That's why Jesus would say in John 3, 16, speaking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, he would describe to him and say, listen, God so loved the world, he loves us. Because he loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And then he draws the fork in the road. Those who believe will not perish but have everlasting life, but those who do not will perish and suffer separation from God. And so our response determines the outcome of where we go. Will we experience eternal life in this life and in the life to come, or will we live separated from God in this life and in the life to come? Leviticus helps us to see that. And if you have never pleaded for Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I would invite you to make that decision even now, the beginning point of a relationship with him. I'll lead us in a prayer in just a moment. And then for all the rest of us, think back to where you see yourself in this book. Are there unintended sins in our lives that we didn't plan on? Or are we coming to God on our terms? Maybe it's a time for each one of us to pray along with this prayer, I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word describes for us what you have done for us. We see in this book people having to do over and over and over and over. So oftentimes we are slow learners. 
and we have to see it repeated over and over and over to be reminded that we have a problem that we cannot resolve. Only your solution through Christ will resolve the issue of our sin. If any of my friends in this room or listening online have never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be their day of atonement, that they would cry out to you with a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, you have set us apart as followers of Christ. You've set us apart to be holy, not just to be healthy, but to be holy and to be holy for the purpose of demonstrating to the world, communicating to the world, how they can be right with you. Lord, if there's anything about our church that is not ready, not ready for you, that needs to be turned from, needs to be repented of, may this be the day that we turn from it so that we are completely ready to do exactly what you've called us to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make a decision, did make a decision, know that after the service, you can meet us out in the atrium. And please utilize this card just to write your name and phone number, and we'll begin a conversation that we can extend uh, as long as you would like. We're going to have the Lord's Supper now, and our deacons are going to make their way to the front and begin to prepare for that. And as they do, I recognize that every time we meet, there may be people that are not members of Westgate. I want you to know that this is not closed communion. You're welcome to join us if, big if, if you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ and demonstrated that through baptism, and if, for all of us, we are walking in repentance to Jesus Christ. We are not willingly sinning against him because if we are willfully sinning against him now and we come to this table, it brings, God says don't do that brings condemnation on us. And so I invite you to pray. Just say again, like we sang earlier, Lord, am I ready? Am I ready in every way? And as the deacons pass these elements out, notice again, you have one, looks like one cup, but there's two. The juice is on top. Just gently twist that off, and you'll find the wafer underneath. Help each other to pull these out of the trays. We do this collectively together. We don't do the Lord's Supper individually because it reminds us that we are a community community of believers in Jesus Christ. And today, friends, we are celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for us, our day of atonement through Jesus Christ.
his day and there may I go vile as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away wash all my sins away and We're now going to join together in prayer before we take these elements. Who would have ever thought you would take the Lord's Supper after reading Leviticus? <laughs> but what a great opportunity to be reminded that Jesus did what we could never do. He entered into the Holy of Holies and said, Father, my blood covers their sin. And that's why I would say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Christ has done what we could not do, but because of what he has done, we are now saved through him. Let's stand together and close out our worship service as we sing. Let's join our hearts and our hands for this final song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye God bless you. Have a great week.